something transformational has to happen for our marginalized children. That's that's it. Period. I think as educators, sometimes it gets so overwhelming to be in a system that's demanding so many things of us. And and really, the one thing that can change the entire experience and outcome for that student who's asking you to do that is to just see them. And and sometimes that's hard, and on some days it's easier than others. But when you do this, we guarantee that it's going to change the rest of the experience that this child is going to have. Welcome to the Innocent Classroom Podcast. I'm your host, C. Wilson. Today, we have three Innocent Technologies trainers, well, four if you count me, joining us. You may recognize them from your training. Jamie Woning, Julian Condi, and Tony Orange. Julian, Jamie, and Tony talk with us about Innocent Classroom, what it is, why it matters, and how you can continue to practice. They give us real life examples of how guilt and innocence have impacted their lives and how teachers can and do transform students' lives. I am thrilled today to have three, I guess we'll say four trainers, because I do some training as well, to talk with the Innocent Classroom community. Thank you all for joining us, for being here, and for the work that you do. Let's go ahead and get started with some introductions. And so we'll start with you, Tony. Thank you, BC. Uh, good day, community. Uh, this is Tony Orange. Uh, I'm one of the trainers at Innocent Tech. I've been doing this for a few years. I am so excited to talk to you about what we do and also share some insights I've picked up uh, from participants that's been a part of my class. I'm Julian Condi. I've been working with Innocent Technologies for about four years now. I'm now director of programs and do training um, about 50% of my time. So Great. really happy to be here. Thank you for being here. And last but not least, Jamie. Hey, everybody. This is Jamie Boning. Uh, excited to be here as well and have this conversation. Um, I first was introduced to Innocent Classroom about six years ago and was lucky enough to start doing work with Innocent Classroom about four years ago and uh, super lucky to have joined the team just a couple months ago as the assistant vice president. So excited to, to talk with everyone. Wonderful and welcome and thank you all. What I want to do now is talk about why you do this work so that our community can get to know you better. Um, so why do you do this work? would like to go uh, first. Julian here again. As I said, I've been working with Innocent Technologies for about four years now. I was on the path of being a traditional teacher at one point in my life. Uh, and I kind of intersected with Alex Pate and the Innocent Technologies team, again, about four years ago. And I quickly saw this intersection of all my passions, both you know education and traditional sense, but also making a difference, changing the system from the inside out, um, opening up opportunities for more kids. So that's what I, that's why I do this. Thanks, Julianne. Yeah, this is Jamie. Uh, you know, similarly, I got an education about 15 years ago uh, as a, a paraprofessional, and I've kind of run the gamut of different intersections with education and, and saw routinely that it wasn't that our kids were failing or that the, the whole system itself necessarily was meant to fail, but it was that, that the adults in the system were, were lacking this ability to, to really connect with the kids and bring them along on this journey of curiosity and learning and engagement that that, that they were so eager to do but couldn't find a way to do. And it wasn't until I had a chance to be trained by, by Alex Pate and hear like, man, this is really about simple relationships and really seeing our kids for who they are and what they're asking us for and saw that uh, that was the one way we could transform this experience of education for our kids and, and, and came right along. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. 
Yeah, this is Tony Orange again. Uh, why did I get involved? Somebody gave me a call a few years ago and they said, hey Tony, uh, I know you like to get involved with what's going on in communities. I said, yeah, sure do. And so she said, I know somebody. Uh, his name is Alex Pate. I said, I think I know who Alex Pate is. And then uh, when this person called me to introduce me to, to Alex, uh, they said, uh, Alex is changing the world. Uh, <laughs> one student at a time, uh, do you want to sign up for that? I said, yeah, uh, I do. And so I did, and I got into the classroom, and it is amazing. Uh, what attracted me was to interact with all of you uh, in a way that can impact the kids. So for me, it's interacting with you so you can go out and impact the kids in a way that they can show up and be the best that they can be. Uh, in school. Well, let's dive into the reason we're here, right? Is really to think about practice and strategies and the concepts that we discuss, that we focus on in Innocent Classroom. And so I want to get into this concept of innocence. We talk about innocence. The word innocent is in the title of every single program that we do. What is innocence? And what does it, what does it mean? What does it mean to you? Well, we know we define innocence as the reduction, minimization, neutralization of the guilt, and that guilt that's developed from those negative narratives about people, uh, particularly students of color and people of color. Um, and what that actually means to me is one's own sense of their own innocence means they believe the world is open to them. Um, I think about it very personally because I went through school, you know, as a person of color in the in Minnesota not always connecting with teachers and not always understanding why. I kind of got to look around and see how certain kids had different experiences that I wasn't always afforded. And then as I got older, I realized that that was happening a lot. Um, so innocence to me is letting them know that the classrooms are open to them, this yeah. openness, this belief that the classroom's open to you, belief that the teachers are open to you, um, and open to you meaning whatever it is means to you as an individual. Um, you know, you have the ability to write that own narrative if you're around adults and people who care about you enough to find out what your narrative is. So that's innocence to me. It's interesting, I'm listening to you, and you said the word belief several times. Like that is a really important word yeah, to me. Absolutely. Um, I think sometimes, across the board, I think anyone who gets into education, they care. But that care is not always being translated to the kids. Yeah, uh, Julian hit it on the head for me, uh, all the things that he said. Uh, that belief, I, I, I get that. Uh, it was interesting, on my way here, I was talking to a colleague of mine, a friend of mine, I've known her for a long time, and she's a therapist. And we were talking about uh, how come we didn't hear uh, about uh, the contributions that uh, people of color made uh, throughout the history of the world. That's, that was our conversation. And she talked about when she was in uh, uh, school, she said the sixth grade, she asked the teacher, and now Donna is a black woman, uh, she's a therapist, fully, uh, you know, she's, she's accomplished, uh, smart woman, smart woman. She said, how come we always talking about George Washington Carver? She asked her teacher. And she said she thought her teacher was probably in her 20s, uh, a white woman that was nice, she really liked her up to that point, and she, she responded to Donna in this way. Uh, he was the only colored man that did anything. Oh. And she said she just felt like the walls came in on her. 
And just that image of the walls coming in on you and where you cannot uh, get beyond the walls. And, and therefore, she was not innocent. Isn't that something? And she's 77 years old, and she still remembers that wow. day. And for myself, I told her when I was in the second grade, uh, uh, very excited about being in school because of my parents, then they really pushed education. And there was that, fam this, it's that famous picture. I know all of you out there in the uh, Innocent Tech community know this, this, this photograph of George Washington crossing the Delaware. And so as I was excited because down by his, his, his uh, foot was a, a black man who looked like me. And so I raised my hand, excited, and the teacher came over and she said, yes, Tony, and I pointed. And I said it sort of loudly because I wanted everybody to hear in the classroom how smart I was. I said, hey, look, 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 that's somebody who looks like me. And she looked at it. She leaned over my shoulder. I, I never forget. She leaned over my shoulder and she said, that's a mistake. And so those walls closed in on me, you know. So uh, uh, sometimes uh, innocence is clear to me when you've had it, and it was taken away, yeah. uh, just in that instance. So that's my tale. Yeah. And that it stuck with you and your friend over all these years is indicative of the impact that small events can have, positive and negative, right? Our focus, right. of course, is always on the positive, well, but sometimes yeah. we forget about the, the little things, the really good things that can stay with a child, as well as some of the really negative things. Well said, well said. Yeah, I think you know that intersection of belief and, and that feeling that you're talking about, innocence is, is that ability to to just show up and be you and know that taking risks as you, being curious as you, failing as you is gonna be seen as the beauty of you and mm -hmm. not as a, a failure of your skin color, a failure of your gender, a failure of your sexual identification, whatever it might be, but that I can show up and just be and move freely and, and for our kids, right? The basis of learning is curiosity and mm -hmm. for them to be able to come and explore and test boundaries and do all these things. But when that innocence isn't there, it's that feeling of, of these restrictive walls, this restrictive cage in some ways that they don't fully understand why it's there or for any of us as adults or kids, right? Not knowing why I'm not answering questions or why I'm answering questions a certain way or that aren't core to my being, that aren't a part of my, my actual soul and what I want out of this world. And so innocence is that ability to, to not just, I, I think innocence is not even necessarily knowing who you are and what you want, but feeling free to be in the world mm -hmm. and find that and explore that. And I think an important distinction around innocence too is not that you're naive to the world, mm -hmm. It's not that you're um, ignorant to the problems that are facing us, whether it's racial, um, racialized stereotyping or racialized um, oppression that's happened or any sort of systematic oppression. It's not an ignorance to those things, but it's a belief, again, that those things aren't about you as an individual and that the problem is outside of you. And that's why it's so powerful. Like As an adult doing this work, I'm still finding my own innocence, and I get closer to it every day because of this work. Um, working with the colleagues I have, but also engaging with educators about their kids in these new ways is always letting me get closer to my own innocence. And that's me having a deep
deep knowledge of the problems that we're facing, that's having a deep knowledge of the histories of oppression, that's having a deep knowledge of all of the things that we still have to change, and I get to feel closer to that sense of like the world is open to me because I'm doing this work and because I know other people are doing this work. And then the willingness to go there with um, each other, but also to do that for our kids, that gets me closer to my own innocence too. So it's not just about our kids, it's not just about a lack of knowledge about the world, it's about despite that knowledge, how can I still move as freely as possible? I think that's a really great point that innocent classroom isn't about putting blinders on to the world, but it is about putting blinders on to the world, right? Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's about acknowledging reality, but not letting that define us. Define us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. And that can be really hard as a teacher who's trying to guide children through this world, but we know it's real. Um, and we hear it all the time. Some teachers are like, well, don't we have to teach them about like, what's waiting for them outside? Right. And it's like, yes, and what can we do in your classroom that lets them know that they can have a different experience besides what's waiting for them outside? Mm -hmm. So it's how can we both positively prime our kids for that success that should be waiting for them, and also make sure they're equipped for reality. I think it's that space of teachers saying, I, I know what I want for this child. I know what I believe for this child. But the question is, do you really know the child, right? Yeah. Or is it what you project versus really starting from? What is the child really bringing to you, asking you for, and need from you? So. And when we think about that, what is this thing called good? Why does it matter? What is it? We define it as that for which all else is done. Um, you know, it's what's driving your bus. It's why you move your feet what you need from other people as they engage you, um, and what you need from the world. It's powerful because it's, yeah, one, it's this willingness to know that there's something more operating and putting that work on you as the educator, as the adult in that relationship to say, there's a different way I could engage based on this new knowledge I have of this person. And that's already giving a new experience to a person who maybe has gone through years of their educational process being pushed out in different ways, being ignored in different ways. So good is this ability to say, I know all this noise is happening. I know you come with this list of guilts. I know you come with this list of actual behaviors that other teachers have seen, I've seen, and I know there's something more there. And it's up to me to get close enough to you, show you that I care enough to find that thing. And then once I do find it, I'm gonna use that to give you a different experience. How do I find it? You have to understand and accept the reality. And the understanding and accepting one's reality is so powerful because it's not just, I know all these things about you, but I have to accept those things about you. Because um, we're gonna hear stuff and know stuff about some of our kids that we know we want to change. But until we get close enough, we're not gonna be able to make those changes. We're not gonna be able to show them that we're the people that have their back to make those changes. So accepting the reality is the only way we can get close enough to start changing that reality. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I love the understanding except piece. That's one of my favorite parts. And then that's part where you tell, work with uh, the, the trainees, you know, the people in the program to say, and then identify with them because you can. You can identify with any child that comes in your classroom. Doesn't mean you know, doesn't mean that you can experience life the way that they do. Can't, doesn't mean that you're ever going to fully understand what they're going through. But once you can understand and accept their reality, you can find a way to identify with that student to say, I've felt fear before, or, oh my gosh, I love Marvel Comics too, or <laughs> wherever that might be, which does drive that different, that different interaction that says, I'm, I'm coming over to you. Understanding and accepting a child's reality is a challenge, mm -hmm. especially when you're seeing something that 
you know is not the best situation, right? Mm -hmm. There might be, mm -hmm. um, I don't know if there's homelessness, there might be poverty. I mean, how do you get past that? There was one thing that was told to me that to reject my reality is to reject my humanity. Mm. You know, it's mm. really to reject who I am and that mm -hmm. this is, that there is possibility for me. So then the opposite must be true, right? To accept yeah. one's reality is to see their humanity. And that's what a lot of kids are asking for, not to change their situations right, right away, right? Or at all. Yeah. But to accept them for who they are. And that's so powerful because then uh, I'm not this monster. I'm not this, I'm not that. I am uh, Julian, I'm Jamie, I'm BC, I'm Tony. And you know, it comes back to the same idea that we say, um, you know, day one in immersion, we say, we learn better from those we believe care about us. I can't learn what you think about my life and my reality if I don't believe you care about me. So you placing judgment on my current reality before I believe that you care about me is only gonna feel like a judgment. It's not gonna feel like you're doing it because of me. It's not gonna feel like you have my best interest in mind. It's gonna feel like you're laying down a judgment on me and that's gonna like keep me away from you. Yeah, it reinforces guilt it reinforces and that's exactly guilt. what it is, yeah. So I think one of the most challenging things can be to identify strategies. How do you do that? If a kid isn't talking to you, isn't sharing with you, isn't willing to go there, what do you do? Yeah, as a trainer, I always uh, I geek out about the observation part uh, because I think there's so many different ways to to change how you're observing or looking at or understanding the child in front of you that you don't even have to ask them any questions. And, and I know a lot of what we talk about is the the uh, innocent interview and asking those questions, but. If you've got a kid who stares back at you all day every day, is never going to write anything down, how do you start to find a way to intersect with them differently or talk to other teachers? Or, you know, and, and that can be risky too. We know that, right? Teachers, it's hard sometimes to ask other teachers about a shared student. You may get their lens, not a true observation of who the student is. But whether it be having them choose from books or um, giving them the chance to choose what you're going to listen to on the radio or watching them on the playground someday or starting to think about who their friends are or just making a phone call home if you have a parent, just to say, what, is, what does Tony do at home? Like, what does Tony get into? Is he on a basketball team? It can be as simple as starting from where do they live. And in and, and going through a file, I just think there's so many ways you can learn things. But you've got to be able to set aside your lens and your judgment. And I think that's a critical part of finding the good means saying, I'm just going to learn as much as I can to see what Tony's story is, not whether or not it reinforces what I think about Tony or whether or not I've got to save Tony or what it might be, but to say, hmm, well, that's pretty cool. Tony likes uh, to, to read Marvel comics and, and listens to country music and plays with his friends. He plays marbles out on the playground. What is, I wonder what that says across those, those things. What does that say about Tony? Yeah. Too? And if you can't get anything from a kid, if you can't get any information then just take a guess, right? If, if you, I have no idea what That's BC right. needs, so I'm, I'm just going to try and help BC feel connected for two straight days and see if that changes anything. And if it doesn't, well, you've eliminated connected. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so I think sure. I do, I, you know, I like always, is don't get caught up in, well, I can't figure it out, and I'm going to spend three months trying to figure out if I can get enough information, is spend as, spend as much time as you need to figure out whether you can get the information you need. And, and if you can't, then use the expertise you have in a classroom of how do you help a child yeah. feel yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, they can be a leader. They can be smart. They can be yeah. safe, right? And and try those things out and see what happens. Because you're moving. If yeah. you're doing if right. you're doing what Jamie has just said, uh, and audience, you know this. You're moving in a way uh, that will eventually connect with that child. Maybe mm -hmm. not about being connected, but might be about being uh, want to belong. Yeah. Each one of you community members took that goodwill that's in your certificate closed your eyes and pointed to one of the goods in there and gave a child that good, whose good you could not figure out, that's not gonna hurt them, yeah. mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. It'll get you farther. It might not be the good, they're good, mm -hmm. but if that's how you have to start because you just can't figure it out, then start that way, just do right. something. Yeah, you, just, you might as well start with a good as opposed to start with a guilt. Yeah, absolutely. Right. When I think uh, in a recent cohort, uh, there was a question raised, well, what if I get it wrong? And what if I give them smart, but their they're good is really to be cared for? They're going to think I'm weird. And I was like, that's right. They're going to think you're weird because they're going to see you're trying differently. Yeah. Not because they're going to say, well, I don't know why you're trying to make me feel smart. The kid doesn't know that's exactly what you're doing, but they see that you're trying to do something specifically for them. And when we talk about opening a child's possibility for a relationship with you, that's one of the first things is they need to see that you're willing to do something differently, uniquely for them, because you're trying really hard for them. And, and I think that that is always critical for me is like, and to help a child feel smart who needs to be cared for, it's not going to hurt them, like you said. Yeah. And it allows them to see, and they might give you more than you might then get an answer to a question that helps you figure out what their good actually is. So okay. I think, uh, yeah. and then also like layering on consistency on all of this, um, mm -hmm. the ability to be consistent with your willingness to try new things. Uh, you maybe you won't see the reaction you wanted right away. Keep showing up that way. Mm -hmm. um, and before you even decide of maybe I should try a different good, give it a, a level of consistency so that child believes you're going right. to keep showing up. Mm -hmm. And maybe then you'll realize maybe I should try a new one. But your consistency to keep showing up new ways, different ways, um, that, that breaks down some of the walls. Yeah. So many of our kids, they see people try new efforts for a week, and then it's same old same. So the kids are waiting us out all the time. So we need to be strong and consistent and really wait, wait out longer. <laughs> we need to be there over and over in consistent ways, because sometimes our kids will hit the good right on the head, and they're going to be tougher on us for a little while. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes we've nailed it, and they're going to sit back and watch to see if that was an accident. Mm -hmm. So we need to be consistent and keep showing up those ways, and then make adjustments when we know an adjustment's necessary. Absolutely. I think that's so interesting, because teachers talk about being initiative out all the time, right? And, and if you think our teachers are, think about our kids experiencing all these initiatives, right? And, and to just have another initiative or another effort, um, you've just really got to show for, and again, for this individual student, that you're willing to be there and you're willing to get it right and you're willing to get it wrong and, and but you're willing to do it for them because yeah. you care about them because you see them. If you could only give one piece of advice to our community, what would it be? Uh, this is Tony uh, and, and you heard this from Julian but I really uh, underscore this. Uh, be consistent and stay, stay with it. Don't give up. Don't give up. Uh, this teacher told me that she had this child who was in the fifth grade, fifth or sixth grade, and uh, did not engage with this child until he was in high school, his 12th year. And he, and he came to her and said, you know, I'm not going to graduate. And uh, she said, it was a, the year was halfway over, and she said, yes, you are. Yes, you will. And she was consistent. 
and that child graduate. And as she was telling me this story, she started to tear up because uh, she said I was consistent and I stayed with it. So that would be my piece of advice. Uh, be consistent and stay with Never give up. Thanks. Never give up. Thanks, Tony. Um, one piece of advice I would give to all new participants and also those continuing their efforts, um, and this is something that comes from the program, I think I hear Jamie say it most consistently in our sessions, is suspend disbelief. Um, we've all, all of us who are committed to making a change, making a difference, whether that's in a classroom or bigger picture, there's gonna be times where we're gonna feel like our efforts are not working or we, as hard as we're working, we're just running in sand. But we need to suspend disbelief and believe that things can be different, change can happen, because that's the way we're gonna show up differently for our kids. We need to believe that we can do something different for our kids and our kids need to believe that we believe that. And I think the only way to really show them is if we are living through that belief. Um, so suspend disbelief when you're sitting down in a, the beginning of a workshop and you're like, oh, I've tried everything. Suspend disbelief when you start learning more about a kid and you learn that there's challenges that you don't believe you can make a difference in. Again, continue to suspend disbelief and keep showing up in ways with this idea that I know I can make a difference. And that is the only way we can show our kids that things we believe in them. Um, it's not just, uh, it can't, it's not going to be easy, but if we continue to believe in our efforts, then that shows our kids that there's people that have their backs in serious, real ways. Thank you. So I think that's my biggest one. Something transformational has to happen for our marginalized children. That's, that's it, period. But the piece of advice is that transformational thing is having an authentic and individualized relationship with a child who's asking you for it. And, and so I think as educators, sometimes it gets so overwhelming to be in a system that's demanding so many things of us. And, and really the one thing that can change the entire experience and outcome for that student who's asking you to do that is to just see them. And, and sometimes it's hard and on some days it's easier than others. But when you do this, we guarantee that it's going to change the rest of the experience that this child is going to have. And so when you've got 30 kids in front of you, to remember that to do it for one kid can change the experience of all the kids around them. And so to give yourself permission and forgiveness to focus on one kid, one kid at a time, give them an individualized, authentic experience of being cared for, yeah. right? of being smart, of being a leader, and, and, and that you can do it. I, there's, I've yet to see a teacher who can't. I've yet to see a paraprofessional who can't. I've yet to see a leader who can't. Um, but it can be hard. But, it, but it's within you, and, and stay consistent, and, and believe in yourself, and give yourself forgiveness on the tough days. And, and, uh, uh, and celebrate those, yes. those successes. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you, Julian, Jamie, Tony, for joining us for the Innocent Classroom podcast. Thank you, And um, I appreciate your time. Thank you. Yeah, take care. Thank you for joining us for the Innocent Classroom podcast. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Remember, be consistent and stay with it and don't give up. Kids are waiting us out. Suspend disbelief that you can have a relationship with that child and the transformational thing is having an authentic and individualized relationship with a child. If you have any questions or comments or wish to be a guest on our podcast, email me at adbc at innocenttech.com. That's A-D-E-B-I-S-I at innocenttech.com. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Have a beautiful day.